Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how are you doing on this Thursday morning? It's June, the biggest recruiting month, what has turned into the biggest recruiting month. So as long as there's lots of recruiting and stuff to talk about, to me, it, it just always feels like football season. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm fired up. Uh, official visitors this weekend, camp going on as we speak, as we record this, uh, Literally, that means Nick and his staff are on the practice field coaching up kids. It's kind yep. of a, a comforting feeling. It is, man. It, and I mean, what, we're 93 days away from kicking off against Utah State, the uh, college football season, uh, not just Alabama, but the entire SEC. We, we will get Vanderbilt, I think, Hawaii the week before. But mm-hmm. it's getting here slowly but surely. Cool that an SEC team is playing in uh, week zero. I know it's, quote, just a Vanderbilt, but – Heck, I won't care. I will be looking forward to that. Like it's uh, like the Bills and Chiefs are playing again. Yeah, hundred percent. I just I can't wait for football. And that's kind of you know we could talk about the SEC spring meetings, which we probably will do sometime next week once everything's wrapped up and we've got all the information and what the SEC plans to do as far as scheduling. You know, we probably won't have any definitive answers with that, but at least we'll have a little bit more information and can share that and discuss it and just kind of talk about our preferences and maybe permanent, you know, opponents, you know, they're talking about the six, three model in conference. And I think that would be, you know, that's what personally I would prefer. We aren't going to dive too much into that, but getting the three permanent teams on your schedule, I think would be a fascinating debate. Just not just for Alabama. We could talk about others as well, but today something a little bit different, not necessarily anything news related, but it's just, it's a thought that you had prior to the 2021 season. Uh, we had only gotten one year of Will Anderson up to that point. But you brought up, hey, we think it's very possible before it's all said and done, Will Anderson is going to be the best defensive player of the Nick Saban era. And I think after this past season, a lot of people are probably already there. But maybe, you know, with some other guys have, doing it for a little bit longer, or, you know, for various reasons, maybe people don't have Will Anderson as the number one guy. And so I kind of brought it back, you know, that question back to the forefront on Twitter yesterday by asking, hey, is Will Anderson already that guy for you? If he's not that guy yet, the best defender of the Nick Saban era, then who would you put up there? Would it be a Jonathan Allen, a Mika Fitzpatrick? And so that's kicked up a lot of interesting conversation and debate on Twitter and also on Instagram. I shared it on there as well. So we'll talk a little bit about some of the comments we've gotten, but I wanted to first start off with your take and just what are your thoughts on not only Will Anderson and where he kind of ranks currently, but, you know, if you weren't, you know, we'll also remove him from, from the equation. Well, I, maybe not remove him from the equation, but uh, if he is your number one guy, then, okay, who would be your number two? And that way we can talk about that as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a great discussion point last summer. Uh, 
sort of project, you know, the reason I brought it up is I felt confident that Will would prove to be the greatest defender of the, of the Nick Saban era, the Nick Saban dynasty. And while I don't think he's proven it just yet because the sample size is too small, just two seasons, uh, I think if Will just has a replica of last season, if that's, quote, all he does, <laughs> which is an understatement, if that's just all he does, I believe in my mind it's, it's settled without a doubt in my mind that Will Anderson will, will be the greatest defender of the, of the Nick Saban uh, dynasty. Um, who does he have to beat out? If, if, if it's not Will, who is it? Um, my answer is Minka Fitzpatrick, Clint, uh, just simply but for a couple reasons. A huge amount of production, high draft pick. You got to remember, you know, Minka was sort of seen as a safety by the NFL or a hybrid, not a pure corner. And if you're going to be drafted super high, like in the top three or four, you better be a pure corner. And that wasn't really Minka. So Minka was drafted exceptionally high for a hybrid or for a safety. Uh, he's had tremendous success in the NFL. Uh, and, and he was much like Will Anderson, Clint. Minka was really good from day one, which makes him a freak. I mean, th those are just freaks. That's a small list. The kids that make a seamless transition from I was a star in high school. Now I'm a star in college. And, and, and basically, they're still in the 13th grade and, and they're, they're big stars already. So uh, to be on that list, you have to be on that list of guys that were really good day one. Minka was one. I think Patrick Sertan maybe, maybe doesn't get enough talk as one of those guys. Jonathan Allen, who was, I think, our best true freshman defensive lineman of the era. Uh, I think those would be all contenders. But for me, Clint, all Will Anderson has to do to cement that crown on his head as the best defender of the Saban era is put up a replica of last season. But frankly, if he stays healthy somehow, some way, I think he's going to be even better than he was last year, particularly with uh, Dallas Turner on that other edge. From a production standpoint, I will be very curious to see how that ends up working out because, you know, a lot of the opportunities that, you know, not only will Dallas Turner get more opportunities to get after the quarterback because he's obviously still going to command by far the most attention on Alabama's defense, but there's a complimentary piece there, not just a complimentary guy like we were talking about Christopher Allen being last year. This is another dynamic pass rushing threat that might not be quite Will Anderson, but he's close enough. He's a double digit sack guy that for most teams, he would be the guy that you were giving all your attention to. And, and you were, he was one of the primary guys that you were saying on a week to week basis this is who we need to stop on Alabama's defense or mitigate and limit the impact they can have on this football game. You can't do that because Will Anderson's already commanding so much of that attention. So that will present opportunities for Dallas Turner, but also having that guy should present at least a little bit of an easier path to, you know, help Will Anderson out. But when you've got another guy who can kind of get in there as well, maybe a lot of times where you would have been the one to get the sack, maybe it's Dallas Turner. So I will be very curious to see where the number, I know he's going to be every bit as good and every bit as dominant, you know, as long as he remains healthy. That is not a question in my mind whatsoever. It's a matter of, you know, what does the, what do the numbers look like at the end of the season? Still think he's going to be a double-digit sack guy for sure. Uh, certainly could be a guy who, you know, replicates the numbers he had last year. I would not put that past him. I mean, he continued to be, every bit as dominant, if not more dominant, 
in the spring game. Now, granted, he was going against Alabama's offensive line, which, you know, still a work in progress, was not a finished product from, you know, a personnel standpoint, had some guys missing in the in the spring game. But I do find it extremely fascinating with Will Anderson. In two seasons, he has had 24 and a half sacks. Crazy. Every other Alabama defender, everyone combined, has 31 and a half sacks between 11 different players in 26 seasons. So if you combine all of the seasons of all the returning defensive linemen, defensive backs, linebackers, all the sacks that they're returning on Alabama's defense, career sacks-wise, Will Anderson's up there in the same ballpark as 11 different players combined, and that includes Dallas Turner's eight-and-a-half sack season last year. So just absolutely incredible what he's been able to accomplish during his time in Tuscaloosa, and, and we expect more of the same. But getting back to the... I, I mean, he's already the best player, in my opinion. Uh, I've never seen a player dominate like him. You know, people talk about Quentin Williams in that one season, how dominant and disruptive he was, and they're 100% right. Will Anderson is kind of the guy, like, I mean, you can do a, some different things and and keep him from making the kind of, you know, three or four sack impact that he would in, you know, some games. But completely shutting him out is extremely difficult to do because, I mean, he's such a great run defender. You know, you try to run at those kind of star pass rushers and kind of get them off their game. You're not going to do that with Will Anderson. He's a dominant uh, run defender, dominant pass rusher, great motor, great leadership skills. But, you know, talking about some of these other guys, you talked about Minka, and I do find, to me, when I think of the best Alabama defensive players during the Nick Saban era, there's four guys who come to mind. One of them is going to be Will Anderson, an edge. The other is going to be Jonathan Allen, a defensive lineman, which we'll talk about in a second. The linebacker, the guy on the second level for me, was always Rolando McClain. He's one of my favorite players to ever play the game. Don't care what, off the field issues once he got past, you know, his days in Tuscaloosa. Doesn't matter. He was absolutely incredible during his, during his time in Tuscaloosa. But then on the back half of the defense, which is who you mentioned, Minka Fitzpatrick. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about these guys one at a time. You've already talked about Minka, but what in your mind puts a guy like Jonathan Allen in that conversation for you? Uh, again, I, I mentioned that he was good right away. Uh, that's not necessary to be a great. For instance, I think Quentin Williams is one of the all-time Alabama greats. He redshirted. Marlon Humphrey redshirted. Sean Alexander redshirted. So I don't mean to imply that if you redshirt or you're not very good as a true freshman, that eradicates you from discussion of being the best of all time. But, but I will give extra points to those who show up good. Pat Sertan showed up a high-quality SEC player. Jonathan Allen showed up a high-quality SEC player. Uh, this happens. Uh, a lot of those freshman receivers did, too, like uh, Ridley and them. Uh, I, I, I think the fact that Jonathan Allen showed up really good and was probably, in my mind, the most, uh, the most productive or the best true freshman defensive lineman of the era, and he just kept getting better and better all the way through and has proven to be a quality uh, NFL player as well. Uh, I, I, I think you also should get extra points for your leadership. I think I think Jonathan Allen was sort of the ultimate Saban bot, uh, you know, the, the, the term we give to kids who 
act and behave in exactly the way Nick Saban would want them to. That's Jonathan. That's Minka. That's Will. Notice there's a there's a trend in all these goats that they sort of act like the goat wants them to. Uh, so I, I I think Jonathan Allen, who for a defensive lineman, I think you know look for as complicated as we make football out to be, Clint. It's also simple in this way. The offense advances the ball through the air or on the ground. And to me, a great defensive player is good at defending both. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in how you defend the pass because most downs, the opposition passes the ball now. So it's almost more important that you're better against the pass because that's what you see more than 50% of the snaps. But the great players are good at both. That's why I brag on Will all the time. Will is not a one-trick pony. He's not just a pass rusher. You know that. Jonathan Allen was good at everything. He could rush the passer. Uh, he could put pressure on the quarterback. But he was very, very good against the run as well. Uh, and, and that's why, to me, Jonathan Allen sticks out. Great player, great kid, great leader, uh, super representative of the program, and was good was a great player the day he showed up. 100%. And, you know, at the point of Williams and comparing the two, that's where you get arguments for both, right? I think when you talk about a single dominant season, Quentin Williams See, is absolutely up there for being one of the best defenders and not just the Nick Saban era, but in Alabama football history. He was that disruptive. And being an interior guy and being a, a really, you know, a nose tackle, nose guard at his size – you know, you wouldn't have been able to think that he would be able to hold up, but just the, how quick he was off the snap, how disruptive he could be at great instincts uh, as far as, you know, his ability to uh, set up offensive linemen. You're just a great player. But when you talk about the doing it over a long period of time, Jonathan Allen was in Tuscaloosa for four years and he was an instant contributor. And like you said, and I think this is very important. He's a guy that continued to get better each and every season, right? I mean, he was, you know, a three-time All-SEC first-team selection. He was part of, of course, that All-SEC team in 2015. But 2016 is the season where kind of everything finally started to come together for him. Like, he became that kind of – he had been a complete product, but he became a dominant product in every possible way. And what I mean by that is over his last two seasons, he combined for 105 tackles, 30 and a half tackles for loss, 22 sacks, and he also had – two defensive touchdowns, uh, an interception, and a fumble recovery for a touchdown as well. In 2016, man, which one of the best defenses of all time, either 2016 Alabama or 2011 Alabama, which we could talk about with some other guys here in a minute, but just you talk about that defense and how great it was. Jonathan Allen was the face of that defense. There was a lot of great players. You know, Mika Fitzpatrick was a part of that defense as well, but Jonathan Allen, he swept everything that he had. I think he had the Nagurski trophy. He had the Benark award. He had the, the Lombardi trophy. He was like sec defensive player of the year that year. He finished amongst the top eight Heisman voters as a defensive lineman, just incredible how not only was he a leader and he kind of set the tone. He was this very serious business like guy who kept everybody straight and kind of how Nick Saban has that personality where I wouldn't say he physically he's a very intimidating presence, but there's some people just have it where it's like when they talk, you listen, Jonathan Allen was that guy. And I think that was extremely important. He could pressure the quarterback from inside and out. He had a great arsenal of pass rush moves. Like you said, he could stop the run. He could get up to the quarterback. He could play out there on the edge as kind of a, 
I wouldn't say necessarily a Will Anderson type of player, but he could he could get after the quarterback off the edge. He could kick inside. He's played a lot inside on the NFL level. Great player. But I've always thought it was an interesting debate when you compare guys like Jonathan Allen to a guy like Quentin Williams, who was, I think, a little bit more flashy, even though, I mean, 19 and a half tackles for loss, eight sacks in that one season, 56 total quarterback pressures. Those numbers are impressive. It's not like it's that much. It really, Jonathan Allen statistically had a better season. But if you just watch Quentin Williams, he constantly had quarterbacks on the run. But I've always found it fascinating to compare those two guys. But I would personally, like I said, there's four players that I include in this conversation. And Quentin Williams isn't one of them simply because he did it for one year. One and, season. Yeah. And he was a redshirt sophomore, and he had such a dominant season. He didn't need his fourth and fifth seasons at Alabama. And I love that. Which those two, the great career versus the great season, uh, and and yeah, yeah, that's puts it to perfect. And I mean, some of the other guys that people have brought up, which I find interesting, is you know I w- I wouldn't say I find it interesting in, in a sense that I, I disagree with it. I just love that these guys are also being included. The conversation on Twitter has been fantastic, man. So many guys brought up, so many different justifications and reasoning, but some other players who I've heard. You know, Reuben Foster certainly needs to be in that conversation. Buckus Award winner, tone setter at linebacker with just absolutely jarring hits. Closing speed was as good as I've ever seen from, you know, a linebacker. Heat-seeking missile, played 100 miles an hour all the time. Plenty of range, true sideline-to-sideline talent. I thought that him going, I want to say he was at like 240 or 242 or something like that, and then his senior year at Alabama, he dropped like 229. I remember some people being a little bit, concerned about that i mean it just made him all the much better i mean just the the closing speed the the burst all of those things heat seeking missile like i said huge hits i felt like he could play in a variety of different alignments he could play a three four inside linebacker he could play a four three will a four three mike so reuben foster certainly in that conversation as well and the other one's dante hightower do you so do you want to talk a little bit about dante well, Dante was a super player at Alabama, and I think at the height of when Dante was so good is, is when we just never wanted to take him off the field. He'd be in the middle on rundowns and be outside and pass downs, and we'd move him around, and he's a smart kid and a good leader. And then, the, then he went on to, frankly, in some ways, be an even better player in the NFL than he was at Alabama to, to me. Uh, I would just think I would have a hard time putting Dante Hightower super high on the list and I'm talking about top five uh because he was injured you know and missed a lot of time and I think just my opinion when he came back from the injury the the the, you know he like missed a year and then he comes back from the injury I didn't think he was the same kid which is normal it's it takes it can take two years it can take a year before you can play and then a year before it feels right again uh I, I I think because of that I wouldn't have high tower too high uh, although none of that is his fault or shows what kind of player he is because he did that with the Patriots. Um, but I, I like, you know, D- Dante Hightower is one of the Alabama greats uh, during this era. And uh, I certainly would have zero issue if we, if we did this in first team, like who, who were, who's on the first team. Uh, I think Hightower is sort of a slam dunk, but, but to have him uh, number one or two uh, with guys like Will Anderson and with Jonathan Allen and Minka, uh, I would uh, slightly disagree. He was part of that 2011 historic defense, the one that averaged, yep. I mean, it was like less than nine points a game, 
less than 200 yards per game, you know, total yards, was averaging like 75, allowing 75 yards on the ground. And I want to say that they gave up like only eight or nine touchdowns the entire season. And Dante Hightower was a huge part of that. You know, he was another one of those, both him and Rolando McLean, and we'll talk about Rolando here in a second, but him and Rolando, it baffled me how Alabama had defensive end-sized off-ball linebackers, two of them, at the right. same time, and how effective they were. You know, Dante Hightower was 6'3", 260-plus pounds, and he could play off-ball linebacker, and he could play some some edge. He had the the size and the length. And I personally thought that they probably should have used him a little bit more as like an early down linebacker, kick him outside to edge. They did that sometimes. There were certain situations where he played out on the edge. Think that he was definitely good enough to do that a little bit more. The Patriots have certainly done that. And with his limitations and coverage, elite level run stopper, don't get me wrong, but just the kind of limitations as far as his change of direction skills and things like that, putting him out there on the edge kind of kept defenses and obvious passing situations from being able to exploit that. And then when you went with the one linebacker set, which you would do, of course, you would go with one of my personal favorites in Rolando McLean, who was 6'4", you know, 256 pounds, ran that like 4'6", 9", or 4'6", just a scary combination of size and speed. The leadership that he brought to Alabama's defense, and I don't think people talk enough. We all know how he struggled in the NFL as far as the off-the-field stuff. At Alabama, I'm not saying that he never had any incidents behind the scenes. And I, what I mean by incidents is just, you know, confrontations with teammates and stuff. I mean, I've heard stories of little spats that happens between teammates all the time. But Nick Saban and that Alabama coaching staff kept him in line. And he was an honor student, if I recall correctly, at Alabama. And, you know, Nick Saban to this day, he will tell you, if you were to ask him, tell me like some of the most intelligent players that you've ever been around. One of the first guys he's going to mention is Rolando McClain. You know, when it came to football and the film study and just the – he would see something and he would understand it. He would understand how to exploit it. He could run. He could hit. Elite-level tackler. Surprisingly, for being a 200 – close to a 260-pound linebacker, he was actually very opposite of Dante Hightower. He could certainly get after the quarterback a little bit as well, but he was actually really good in coverage, not because of his athleticism necessarily, even though he was athletic enough, it was his situational awareness and just the way that he moved and knew where to be great stack and shed linebacker, which was perfect for that three, four attacking style defense that Nick Saban liked to run back then kind of could, uh, you know, when you run that three, four and you only got three defensive linemen in front of you and you're an off ball linebacker, you're going to have to stack and shed quite a bit with those uh, guards that are working up to the second level. And Rolando and Dante Hightower both did a phenomenal job of doing that. I would have Rolando higher than Hightower for all the reasons you said we're on the same page, as we usually are. Uh, I'd have Rolando really high. Dominant, dominant, dominant player. And, uh, you know, when, when I think of Rolando now, what the, the conversation that sparks for me is how much the game has changed. Because I, I think Rolando in 2009 may very well have been the best defensive player in college football. I'm not sure I'd have traded him for anybody in 09. He was probably the reason uh defensively we were as good as we were and and won a national championship and Rolando has deserved so much credit for that national championship so much of that was due to Rolando and I say that to say it's 2022 and you get the same exact kid and, and I gotta say I'm not 100% sure there's a place for him in 2022 he went from the best player in the country to where can we put him on the field now he's so good there would be a spot for him because he's so good but he wouldn't be as effective. I think that's fair. 
uh, just simply because now your mic, now your mic has to be good in pass coverage, has to be able to cover, has to be able to drop. Uh, it's, it's, it's a speed game. It's not quite as physical as it was. And that's what's interesting to me. Uh, in fact, I would say if literally Rolando McLean's clone came out of Decatur High School in this class, we would be recruiting him as an outside linebacker uh, pass rusher. And, that, and that's kind of what he would be uh, similar to, uh, let's say, Chris Allen, you know, kind of kind of a run stuffing edge setting. But he can also rush the passer type outside guy. Uh, and I think that's really interesting because it, it shows how football's changed and it showed how Nick Saban's the greatest of all time because Nick Saban won national championships when the game was played like it was in 09. And he's won national championships like the game is played in 2022. And that is what is freaking amazing about Nick. Uh, but uh, Rolando's not playing in 2022. We get to judge him on how he played in 07, 08, and 09. And uh, one of the all-time greats, Absolutely, no doubt about it. Well, what's wild is that I think with Dante Hightower, and you kind of see it. I mean, he's still been effective for the Patriots. Don't get me wrong. He's a free agent right now. He's kind of gotten up there in age. New England might choose to bring him back, but I do think that it's starting to become like a man, the leadership ability and the run-stopping ability, and he can. You know, he's got a little bit of versatility still, but the issues in pass coverage, I think, is making New England very hesitant to bring him back, and I don't know. You know, I'm sure somebody will bring him in on a smaller deal and have him playing some sort of role. I don't know exactly what that role will be. Maybe it'll be, you know, an early down player. But still, I mean, you know, opposing offenses can still exploit you in pass coverage on first and second down that you used to throw the football, which is happening a lot more frequently than it did in the past. So definitely agree that a guy like Dante Hightower, if he were to play in today's college football, I don't think he would quite be the same player. Uh, Rolando McLean, I agree to a certain extent, even though I think that he had enough situational awareness where I don't think he was ever going to be a plus coverage player for you, but I do think that he still could have survived as an off-ball linebacker. And, and it just depends on if Nick Saban would have known what he knew about or what he found out about Rolando, and he might have known that when he was at Decatur watching him. But certainly what he learned over the course of Rolando's college career, which is, I mean, he, his ability to read and diagnose and react and get downhill. I just think playing him out there on the, because I don't think he was an elite pass rusher by any means. I think he could have been a pretty good run defender and, you know, a guy who could put up a few, you know, five, six, seven sacks maybe. But I would worry about his effectiveness. I still think he could survive. I wouldn't say he would be as effective, obviously, but I think he could still survive in today's college football because of the, you know, situational oh, yeah. awareness and coverage. Yeah, he's really one of the smartest football players I've ever seen. It's sort of an exaggeration. But, you know, there's that old movie, uh, uh, Goodwill Hunting, you know, where Matt Damon's the janitor and he, he solves an incredibly complex graduate school math equation at Harvard, uh, where the equation is so long it takes up the whole board. Uh, I can sort of see that scenario where this, there's this math equation and it covers up the whole blackboard. And it's about football. And it covers up the whole blackboard and it's even got symbols that I don't even know what the hell they, they mean. They're just symbols. And, and it's a math equation that's like 18 lines long and, and then equals. And Rolando like, looks up at the board and, and uh, he writes and it equals. He writes a uh, seven. And the professor is like, that's right. And Rolando's like, yeah, yeah, seven. And the professor's like, 
how, how, how did you solve that? How do you know it's seven? And Rolando's like, I don't know, it's just seven. <laughs> and he's right. I mean, that, that's, that's what Rolando's intelligence is. Football. He, he didn't have to be taught. He knew where to be. He knew based on where the offense was aligned and based on the snap of the ball, he knew where to be. Uh, and, and I doubt he could have told you how he knew, but he just knew. Uh, I think he's about the most instinctive defensive player I've ever seen, and, and maybe you're 100% right based on his instincts alone. He could he could play in 2022. Uh, last analogy, too, uh, when I was growing up, and I'm older than Clint by quite a bit, but when I was growing up, the best defensive shortstop in the American League wasn't uh, one of the Dominican Republican guy, Dominic, Dominican Republic guys or, or uh, Puerto Rican players, all these great defensive shortstops that sort of uh, – reigned into Major League Baseball in the 80s. The best defensive shortstop was Kyle Ripken. And, and he was bigger, much bigger, and slower than all of those guys. And But he was great because if you watch old film of Kyle Ripken, he's moving towards the batted ball while the batter is swinging the bat. He, he instinctively knew based on the pitch, the angle of the pitch, whether it's a fastball or a breaking ball, based on the swing, He's moving towards the ball before it left the batter's bat. That is instincts. And only he had it. And that's how he can make up the fact that he wasn't as small and as athletic and as quick as the others, but his range was still similar. Well, Rolando played defense the same way Cal Ripken played shortstop. He knew where to be, where to go. He diagnosed it all in his brain and ran to the right place uh, at the right time. And, uh, I've just rarely seen anything like it, and I, I, I think Nick Saban would agree. Yeah, I mean, when you watch Ray Lewis towards the end of his career, what do you think? Was Do you think he was as, as athletic as he was early in his career with the Baltimore that, Ravens? Absolutely not. It's just he had played so much football that as he got into his late 30s, mid to late 30s, it's like there was nothing being thrown at him that he hadn't seen before that in, in a lot of ways, I mean, you very rarely caught him off guard. He knew where to be. He understood the the game of football to a point and had seen so many defensive snaps during his time that while his athletic ability was starting to decline a little bit, his understanding of the game and the mental side was continuing to move in the correct direction and it kind of offset each other a little bit. He was a very different linebacker by the end of his career than he was you know, at the beginning, but he was still just as good or in a lot of ways just as good because he was able to compensate. Rolando kind of always he he never had Ray Lewis's natural athleticism and explosiveness but he right. already had that kind of advanced understanding of the game where he's kind of he had always been that player and that was going to be something you know it kind of made you wonder at at a certain point the 468 which is still really good but that's going to start to decline a little bit you know at what point would even though Rolando understanding the game on a completely different level at what point would his, his athletic limitations become a hindrance as he got older and his body started to wear down a little bit? But I'll tell you right now, when you you talk about Nick Saban getting in a room with Bill Belichick, the reason that they enjoy each other's company so much is because they understand the, the game of football on a level that very few – they can bring in Pete Golding, Josh McDaniels. So, they can bring in tons of people who know the game extremely well and have conversations with them, but – they understand it to a level where they're able to have, you know, a conversation that very few other people are able to have. And I think what's always impressed Nick Saban about Rolanda McLean is kind of he could keep up with you. You know, he was pointing out things. I've always heard there was things that he was pointing out to Nick Saban where Nick's like, yeah, I mean, I didn't, yeah, I didn't see that. I didn't notice that. I didn't, 
you know, it's a great idea as far as exploiting it. And he was contributing to like the game planning and stuff. I think Nick Saban was learning from Rolando, not as much as Rolando was learning from Nick, but I think it was a little bit of a mutual thing. And that's what, that's why Nick Saban's always had a tremendous amount of respect for, for Rolando. Uh, we only got, you know, a few more minutes left. Starter too. Another day one game one starter. And, and again, uh, uh, I'm not saying just because you can't do that doesn't mean you won't be great. I'm just saying that is a sign. That's a sign. When they show up, understanding the scheme, understanding how to play, and they're good players, not just, hey, I was able to squeeze in the starting lineup. No, good players as true freshmen at Alabama playing in the SEC. Dude, that's that's crazy. hundred uh, percent is. Yeah, and, and one of the big things when you start going down this list, you know, Jonathan Allen – he was in the conversation to be the number one overall pick until, you know, he had one, I think he had arthritis in one shoulder, and then he had, like, double shoulder surgery. That kind of caused him to exit the conversation because I think he had the surgeries right before the combine. Wow. He ended up going number, I think, 17 overall, if I'm not mistaken. But, you know, he was going to be a top 10 pick had it not been for the shoulder issues. Yep. Quinn Williams, number three overall. He's in the conversation. Minka Fitzpatrick, number 11, right outside of the top 10. Rolanda McLean, number eight. Reuben Foster was a top 10 pick from an athletic standpoint. He had some off-the-field issues. He had the situation at the combine. Those things caused him to fall, and he almost fell out of the first round. But from a pure talent standpoint, and he, you know, dealt with injuries a lot. You know, he, he would played recklessly with his body, and he paid for it. That includes on the NFL level. But, you know, he was in the conversation to be – he was a top 10 talent. You know, Dante Hightower was one that's borderline. You know, he was down there. I think he got drafted at number 25 overall. So what we've kind of learned from this is you kind of have to be like a, to be in this conversation. A lot of these guys need to be in that, you know, a top 10 pick kind of range. The one that some people have brought up that I don't necessarily agree with, even though I think he's really good at Alabama. He only started four games in his biggest season for Alabama and he only made one all SEC team, but he was NFL teams were infatuated with him and he was drafted number three overall, which is Marcel Darius. Yeah, I, Darius would definitely be a guy I would include on my first team. Uh, I would put him in those top three defensive linemen, top four, based on really what happened at the end of 09, which is really, I felt like he showed in 08 his freshman year that 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 he was going to be something. And then the second half of 09, I thought was really dominant. He played, if I remember, 2010, really with a high ankle sprain all year and was never really healthy. And we sort of just saw a shadow. Some people might've thought he was coasting for the draft, uh, actually had a high ankle sprain. And as we know, those don't really heal unless you stay off it for a few weeks. Um, I couldn't support Darius for this just based on his lack of production over a period of time. But I would agree with anybody that said, while healthy and not a true freshman, he was probably playing that position as well as anybody has at Alabama for that period of time. It was just too short. Uh, Quinnen did it over a whole season. I think Darius really was only really good the second half of his sophomore season. Uh, and then a junior year again, he might have been Quinnen Williams had he been healthy, but he wasn't. So I, I couldn't support him for best defender of the Saban era, but uh, I can support him on the first team. And, uh, while healthy, again, he was pretty good in the NFL. He certainly made a lot of money. And, I mean, he was fun. And I think that he'll always be a legend in the eyes of Alabama fans because he knocked out Colt McCoy, and then he turned around and had that interception 
that he returned for a touchdown in the national title game, and which is like a legendary play, like the spin move and all that stuff is a big boy to kind of cap it all off. I mean, it's it's a Daniel Moore painting, for goodness sake. So he's certainly got his place in Alabama history. My wife certainly. Was in the line during that play. I don't know why I just remember that. In the Rose Bowl, we were there in Pasadena, and uh, my wife was in the beer line. And when she got back with, with my beer, she's like, oh, what I miss? I'm like, it's kind of hard to describe, but it was sort of big. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it was a great play, man. Incredible play. But, yeah, great defender. Uh, was probably a little bit better in the NFL than he was at Alabama from a consistency standpoint. But he was really good at Alabama. Don't get me wrong. You know, I've, I've seen him brought up amongst some other guys. We weren't able to get to everybody. There'd just be too many to talk about. But I, I would say that the guys that we mentioned, some of the ones that were brought up the most and are pretty much the, kind of the the most common answers that you'll get. And, and Minka, you know, being a, a Thorpe, you know, I don't want to say he's Alabama's only Thorpe winner. And, you know, day one starter versus Chesapeake. Langham won the Thorpe. Now, that was a long time ago. Um, no, I'm, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I meant during the Nick Saban era. Like we're talking about oh, Nick Saban defenders. Uh, uh, did anybody else? It's hard to believe someone didn't because, man, the DBs at Sertan didn't win. Maybe not. Uh, maybe he did. Uh, I would have to go back and check. I think he did. I think Sertan I may I want to say an LSU deep. And then uh, we'll see. Uh, I'll go check. The thing about great corners, and I don't mean to get off on a tangent or a rabbit hole, but the thing about great corners is sometimes corners have zero production. I mean, almost zero. And why? Because nobody throws at the guy they're covering, you know? Yeah, 100%. We got less than a minute left. Of course, I'm, I'm about to upgrade this whole Zoom thing. I'm just going to pay the <laughs> subscription, man, because we, we we talked too long. I was talking about this maybe being a, a 15, 20-minute conversation before, and now we're sitting here at 40 minutes, and they're telling us to get the heck off. So, Jimmy, I appreciate you hopping on here with me. I did want to get another podcast out this week. We're going to be having more coming up and then in july we're going to get on a much more consistent schedule but next week we'll be talking about sec meetings and a lot of stuff so definitely tune into that go subscribe to the podcast leave us a five-star review we would certainly appreciate it once again this is clint lamb and you're listening to the bam on three show lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.